is Daniel Hagner for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. This is day 108 of our 365-day journey with you. You know, my wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to give their children a childhood they won't have to recover from and to prepare them for life as the best version of themselves. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because they've been our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we'll do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. For 365 days, you have been invited into our experiment, and we're committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. So this is the third and final part uh, that my wife Uh, had done on a a Facebook Live broadcast. And like I said in the previous two episodes, I just thought they were so good, so full of great, great stuff and insights gleaned from this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that it was just worth sharing. And so I asked if she'd be willing to um, let me strip the audio and upload it into the podcast, and she was willing. So um, that's what we're going to be talking about. So this is this last part is love is really revealing the beauty of another person to themselves. And part of that is just this process of growing into an emotionally mature adult. And the way we do that is by learning new skills to love well. And so that's what my wife will be talking about in this episode. Enjoy. Hey, good morning. How's it going out there? It's July already. Oh my goodness, summer is in full full swing out here in Austin. Um, we've had a couple hundred degree days, and uh, it's actually been a pretty mild summer, though, I think. But good morning. I'm really excited to connect with all of you guys this morning. And uh, I have really been... Hi, Laura. Good morning. Uh, I have really been loving digging into this book that we've been looking at called emotionally healthy spirituality and I love because it goes completely in alignment with everything that we teach at the Grief Recovery Institute and everything that we do in Grief Recovery um, is about growing uh, and emotional maturing and I love hi Linda good morning good to have you Um, I love the tagline on this book It says it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I believe that that is so very true. And uh, we, um, hi Jude, hi Amanda, good to have you ladies. Um, I'm going to dig into this chapter, at least just actually the first half of this chapter in this book. It's, we've been looking at Sabbath and the connection to making a goal to have um, boundaries around your time. And that is why God, Sabbath is a commandment, right? It's a commandment. And that is why, because we have to literally practice putting boundaries around our 
will and around our strength and learn to rely on God's. And we literally, God was like, you have to practice this every week, every week as well as every first day of the month and on and on. We've talked about this. And it's been unbelievable to see how difficult that is. Um, hi, Jill. Welcome. Welcome. How difficult that is to do, and especially in our culture. And what is Sabbath? And really, um, I have been delving into what that looks like for me and for our family and um, how important it is not to make it legalistic. Uh, it's the absolute opposite of what it's meant to be. It's meant to be a reprieve, and it's meant to be a practice of relying on God and letting go. Um, I, I just, I can't even, I imagine all of the people and how many people struggle with anxiety and are on medications for anxiety, and not to say that if you practice Sabbath, you won't. Um, you're so sweet, thank you, Jill, that you won't struggle, right? But I'm realizing so much that in our culture, we are so devoid of really how do we rely on God. And I love this chapter in this book because this is the chapter after really digging into Sabbath and it's talking about literally growing, how do we grow into an emotionally mature adult? And um, so I'm gonna share <clears throat> some of the things with you guys in this chapter. Um, and he starts out in this book, in this particular chapter that this woman that's asking a monk, how can I know that God exists? And um, hi, Jennifer, so happy to have you here. And, um, and he tells her that there's no explanation, only the practice of active love, okay? Then she confesses that sometimes she dreams about a life of loving service to others and thinks maybe she'll even become a sister of mercy, live in poverty, and just serve the poor. And then her mind quickly goes to, but they would probably complain that the soup I served wasn't hot enough or the bread wasn't fresh enough and confesses that she couldn't bear such ingratitude. So her dreams about serving others vanish. And once again, she finds herself wondering if there is a God. I found that so interesting to see how in our minds we walk through these things, right? <clears throat> the wise monk responds, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. And that's in a book that um, is quoted here. And I thought that's so interesting. And loving well is the goal of the Christian life. And how do we do that? And it's easier in our dreams than in practice. So many times I have thought about a, um, a scenario, especially like time with my family, right? How, oh, I'm gonna we'll make dinner and we'll have this and we'll have a quiet time together and we'll learn about these things. And it never goes as planned, <laughs> never. And one of the things that I love about um, this book and about grief recovery and about learning how to grow, um, maturing in our emotions is how to not be triggered by the people in our life that we're trying to love. And when we aren't emotionally whole or complete or mature, what happens is all these triggers just happen and then we result in like this woman's thinking this through. Well, but if they're not grateful and if they don't re react to what I'm doing well, oh, I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. And then getting her to the place of going, is there even a God? It's so fascinating how important it is that we grow emotionally, right? Um, uh, so we must grow in emotional adulthood in Christ to, to really reap the rewards which are rich beyond measure. 
Um, <clears throat> then this chapter goes into reading about this woman who is a Christian. And I'm going to read this little story because it kind of sets the, the, the stage for where it's going to go. And it's very interesting because I think we can all find ourselves somewhere in this very short story about this woman. Jessica is her name. Um, she's a gifted manager in her company, and she has been a Christian for 15 years, and she loves spending time with God. When the vice president of her company is making schedules for the managers to meet with clients out of town, he asks her to pick the week she would prefer to travel over the next three months. So she gets right on that. She emails him the dates and then doesn't hear anything back. So after a few days, she calls the office and the assistant answers and says, well, looks like in the schedule, the next three months are all full. I guess he doesn't need you right now, but thanks for calling. Um, she was stunned. Uh, so she just says thank you and hangs up. And for the next two weeks, she wrestles with God and herself. She asks God for forgiveness for the anger she was feeling. She tried to figure out why the vice president had changed his mind. She humbled herself to God. She cried out in prayer to have love toward her coworkers. She lost sleep. Finally, she concluded that God was dealing with her stubborn self-will. Over time, she distanced herself from the vice president and the other managers, avoiding them whenever possible. During the next two years, she worked hard, but felt like she had hit a ceiling in how far she could go with this company. And eventually, she left and took a position with another company. <clears throat> she is very committed to her personal relationship with Jesus Christ. She practices her spiritual disciplines. The problem, however, is that her commitment to Jesus Christ does not include relating to people in an emotionally mature way. And I think this is so key. This is so key. Instead, she misapplies biblical truth and, allow, and follows most probably the relational skills learned unconsciously in her own family growing up. So if you look at her process, she processed, she never um, actually confronted the situation, right? She made assumptions about herself, she made assumptions about God, which ultimately led her to being separate, protecting herself, and not, not even really engaging and another two years later and ended up leaving. And you know what? She's going to do the same thing in the next place and in the next place. What assumptions did she make about her vice president? About God's will for her life? What might she have done to prevent her pain? Unless she receives equipping in this area, she will likely repeat the same pattern over and over again. Equipping in this area. How often do we go and... And, um, and perceive a situation and disciple ourselves and kind of call out our own sin and we feel like, okay, this must be what we're, and, and in that process, all we're doing is um, confirming our beliefs about how other people are, how life works, and the, the things that we believe to be true about ourselves and God, which are not usually in alignment with God. It's so good. We learn many skills to be competent in our careers and at school, but we do not learn the skills necessary to grow into an emotionally mature adult who loves well. The Bible is clear what we are to do. Part of growing into an emotionally mature Christian is learning how to apply practically and effectively the truths we believe. For example, how can I be quick to hear and slow to speak? 
We've all heard that, right? How can I be angry and not sin? How can I watch my heart above all else since that is the place where life flows? To guard my heart, what does that look like? How do I speak the truth in love? How can I be a true peacemaker? How do I mourn? How can I mourn? How do I not bear false witness against my neighbor? How can I get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger? The end result is an inability to walk out our beliefs and our ch in our churches and relationships are not qualitatively any different from the world around us. This is so interesting. Okay, so Jesus preached great messages to the multitudes, yet he knew that it would not be enough for people to truly get it. So he chose 12 with whom he lived day and night for three years. He modeled how his teaching worked out practically and he had them practice. He supervised, he imparted power to them. Jesus knew that inspiration was not enough. And I love that. I have, this is the, the writer here. I've spent all my adult life giving insp inspiring sermons about God's heart for people and to love people and how Jesus saw each human being as infinitely precious and a treasure in God's sight. Um, but I have found that telling people to love better and more is not enough. We cannot do it on our own, right? They need practical skills incorporated into their spiritual formation to grow out of emotional infancy into emotional adulthood. It is easy to grow physically, just chronologically into an adult, right? It is quite another to grow into an, an emotional adult. Um, so many people today might be chronologically 40, 50 um, in years, but remain emotionally an infant or a child. And here, this is really cool, and I'm gonna read these, and if you um, are able to jot some of these down, you might want to, and see the, the, pro the progression, what is how God has designed us to grow emotionally. So as an infant, right, we look for others to take care of us, we have great difficulty entering into the world of others, are driven by the need for instant gratification, and use others as objects to meet their needs, right? That's an infant. That makes total sense. Uh, children are content and happy as long as they receive what they want. Unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, or trials. Interpret disagreements as personal offenses. Are easily hurt. Complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their way. Have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature and loving way. Some of those you might go, ouch, because some of us might be responding that way still today. Adolescents tend to be defensive, are threatened and alarmed by criticism. Keep score of what they give so they can ask for something later in return. Deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, gossiping, pouting, or ignoring the issue entirely. That right there is huge, huge. Dealing with conflict poorly. There is a passage in the Bible, Matthew 18, when you have been hurt or wronged, you go to that person and you deal with conflict in a mature, um, emotionally respectful and honoring way. We are not taught to do that. Um, so we deal with it poorly. We blame, we appease, we people please, right? We go to a third party, pout, ignore the issue entirely. 
become preoccupied with ourselves, have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments, or needs. It's a huge part of grief recovery is learning to listen without judgment, comparing, or minimizing. It is not something that is natural or easy to do. We jump in. How do we listen? How do we truly listen to another person's pain or even without feeling like we're supposed to fix it, right? Our critical and judgmental um, adolescents we're talking about. Emotional adults. So hi, Vashti. Great to see you. Um, emotional adults are able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, honestly. Being um, respectful and honoring, right? Recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. <clears throat> this is a big one. We live in a culture, unfortunately, that is, it's being shoved down our throats that everything is someone else's responsibility. Just that in and of itself, learning to take personal responsibility changes everything, everything. Hi, Laura. Good morning from Ohio. So happy to have you here. Okay, this is an emotionally mature adult. Can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. Interesting. Wow, I wish that we could do that um, out here. Respect others without having to change them. Give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. Even our kids, so important. Appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and not for what they give back. Not keeping that record, that tit for tat, right? Well, I've done this, they owe me. Accurately can assess their own limits, strengths, and weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. Are deeply in tune with their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. You're able to tune in to someone else, not try to fix them, not have the burden of having the answers for them, but to truly be there for them to process and you can listen and encourage, right? Have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. This is powerful. This is really powerful. And this section of this book, I love where it's about to go next. This is called The Spiritual Discipline of Practicing the Presence of People. As emotionally mature Christian adults, we recognize that loving well is the essence of true spirituality. This requires that we experience connection with God, with ourselves, and with other people. God invites us to practice his presence in our daily lives. At the same time, he invites us to practice the presence of people within an awareness of his presence and in our daily relationships. But the two are rarely brought together. And this I loved so much that I, I added this into the title of what we were talking about today. And it says, Jesus's profound con contemplative prayer life with his father resulted in a contemplative presence with people. Love is to reveal the beauty of another person to themselves. I love that. Jesus did that with every person he met. Think about that. How can we love our husbands in this way? Thinking, how can I love him to reveal the beauty of him to himself? 
How can I show honor and respect and speak life over the union that we have, the marriage that we have? Um, the ability to really listen and pay attention to people was at the very heart of Jesus's mission. It could not help but move him to compassion. And in the same way, out of our complete, con, con, I keep saying that wrong, contemplative time with God, we too are invited to be prayerfully present to people revealing their beauty to themselves. And that's what we get to do when we listen. Jeannie, it's so great to see you here. Welcome, welcome. That's what we get to do when we listen to people with dignity and respect. And you know what I find? That the hardest to do that with are the people that we live with, our spouses and our kids, and really listening and giving them that dignity and respect. Um, so I love this. So we just talked about how the true meaning of love is to reveal the beauty of another person to themselves. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the church leaders of that time never made that connection. That is the ultimate to me of a legalistic form of, of Christianity. They were diligent, zealous, and absolutely committed to having God as the Lord of their lives, right? They memorized entire books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Those five books of the Torah, they knew it. They prayed five times a day. They, they tithed all their income. They gave the money to the poor. They evangelized, but they never delighted in people. Unbelievable, this connection. Hi, Gamji. Hi, Gamji. My mom is on in California, soon to be living in Texas. I'm so excited. But listen to this. They, they never delighted in the people. They did not link loving God with the need to be diligent, zealous, and absolutely committed to growing in their ability to love people. For this reason, they criticized Jesus repeatedly for being a glutton, for being friends with gluttons and drunkards and tax collectors and sinners, right? But Jesus delighted in people and life too much. His whole reason for coming was to show that, that being a Christian did not mean that you were under law but that you were under the spirit. And we've talked about that a ton. Like even understanding what Pentecost is and why that was so powerful that Jesus showed the spirit on the same day that God gave his law at Shavuot, right? And they, they were celebrating that, that religious holiday in Jerusalem when the, the fi tongues of fire came on them and that's when the spirit ascended. And from that point on, walking as a Christian means walking with a spirit that is in you. So that is why it's so important to discover what is Sabbath for you? What is your family? What, what is it that you are passing on? Your kids are growing up with a heritage. They have, um, they have grown into a household of this that you are imparting onto them. And how are you showing them that power? How are you living a life that's free from fear and control? That's what they're experiencing. And that is their experience of God. When you claim to be a Christian and you live in fear, it's practical atheism. And our kids, that's what they remember. That's what they're gonna experience is that. How can we show our kids a practical um, life that's living opposite of fear? God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind.
And when we give into fear and we are in anxiety and in those panic and not trusting God, our kids are experiencing that as well as our spouses and ourselves. It's a terrible place to live, right? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> so this goes on. And, and I'm going to read that again. Jesus delighted in people and life too much. God's glory is man fully alive. So Jesus refused to separate the practice of the presence of God from the practice of the presence of people. It's, it's together. It's connected. When pushed to the wall to separate this unbreakable union, Jesus refused. He summarized the entire Bible for us in this when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Um, and I find that this is so connected to all these things that we've been sharing about is aligning ourselves with God's timing with his months and the reasons why there's certain things in certain months. We reap what we sow. And all of a sudden, there's so many things for me that are coming alive by, by studying this and really trying to align my life to this and practicing Sabbath and recognizing that without that, it's impossible. If we don't physically practice or reliance on God, we will rely on our own strength. And much, much, much about what we learn in our American churches, wherever you go to church, is a self-reliant faith. It's a works-based faith. And it's choking us. And it's not what Jesus wanted. In fact, Jesus came <coughs> and when you read his anger, his righteous indignation about the Pharisees who were putting these burdens on people's backs. He was furious. He knocked over tables. He Everything that he did in the New Testament was to show that this was not what God intended, that his burden is light. How many times have I read that and gone, wow, God, I wish I could figure that one out in a sarcastic tone, enter sarcastic tone here, and understanding that I have chosen I have such a works-based mind mindset and I'm a doer and I'm a goer. And man, I feel like there have been many times in my life, um, including when I got adult onset asthma um, 16 years ago. And yes, I was going through a hard time. My parents were separating. But I look back on that time now and I know that there was something happening that God was allowing in that trauma and in that time that I all I could do was lay down and breathe I mean literally because I was undiagnosed with asthma for two years and I was coughing and I was having asthma attacks without an inhaler I was breathing and I was praying and I, I ended up getting diagnosed with asthma and now I'm on asthma meds which I'm very grateful but I look back at that time and I literally feel like um you know that saying that everything I've ever let go of had claw marks all over it? <laughs> I feel like there was such a tight grip that I had on holding everything together. And that time in my life was so transformational. It literally was a time of deliverance for me, of control. And, um, and it's been a walk of letting go of control and fear ever since. And um, that was a time that I remember times of just 
like me and God and God saying, you have to surrender. You have to surrender your family. You have to surrender all of this. And all you can do right now is focus on breathing in and out. And uh, he had me there for a while because I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. Um, somebody asked me a couple days ago, uh, this beautiful young girl that is that just finished grief recovery and we were driving to class and she asked me if, you, if I had ever had, what was the most intense dream I had ever had? And I was like, huh, that's really an interesting thought. And it reminded me about a dream that I had not long after. Hi, Katrina, welcome. <clears throat> a dream <clears throat> that I had not long after becoming a Christian. And I think some of you moms and, and women out there, even if you're not a mom, but us women tend to be taking on the world and go, go, go. And I think kind of pride myself on um, I'm never going to give up. And, uh, you know, thinking that giving up and surrendering were, is the same, that's, that's a really hard lesson to learn. But I remember in this dream, I was in a boxing ring. And it was a very visually, um, uh, the dream was insane. I was getting beaten to a pulp by this huge opponent in this ring. I could not see them because they were so big it sort of went out of my line of vision but I was just getting beaten and blood was splattering like it was super visual. And I remember I would get knocked down and I would get back up again. And all around the ring were my family and friends and they were all cheering me on and I kept getting up and I kept getting up and getting knocked down and I am bloody and black eyes. And I was just like, I refuse, I refuse to not get back up. And all of a sudden I realized this makes me emotional thinking about it. All of a sudden I realized that my family and friends were yelling out to me and they were yelling out to me these words, stay down, stay down. And I remember at the time like waking up and being like, oh my God, it was so visual and there was blood everywhere and, I, and it was so intense and I recognized months, maybe even years later, that there is a, a difference of surrender and a difference of giving up. And it is not the same thing. And there are things that we are up against in our lives, whether it's parenting, whether it's our children going through something like what Judy is going through right now, that we can't possibly keep fighting in the way that we think is right. We must surrender. And in that comes a humility of relying on a spirit. Erica, it's so good to see you. Um, <clears throat> relying on a spirit that is going to carry us. And we can't do that. We can't connect to that unless we surrender. And if we have a warped sense of what that is because we have a works-based faith that has added to the way we've coped with life. If you were brought up and you were like, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'm gonna prove it. And you take that into your Christianity, it's a really horrible way to be a Christian, honestly. It's not living life fully alive. It's not understanding God's um, taking Jesus's burden and he promises that it's light. And if you aren't understanding that, 
If you say, yeah, I don't, what, where's the light burden? You know, if, if that's coming up anywhere in your heart, I implore you to dig into anything that might be unresolved for you that's affecting how you're surviving. Because we have coping mechanisms that keep us locked into this kind of a life and we can't connect to God's spirit that way. We just can't. Um, I love you, Laura. Thank you. Erica, it's so good to see you. You made me cry more when I saw you. It's really good to see you. I can't see my book <laughs> from my glasses and my tears. Anyway, I love you guys so much. Um, <clears throat> so our great problem is the next part of this. I can't help but experience life without me at the center of my universe. <clears throat> With my eyes, I look out into the world, and with my ears, I hear what is going on. I can only feel, want, and experience what I am feeling, wanting, and experiencing. I naturally want the people around me to give up themselves and become what I want them to be. I prefer those close to me to think and feel and act towards the world the same way I do. Isn't that so true? I prefer the illusion of sameness when really we are very different from each other. I want other people's worlds to be like mine. I even act the same way in my relationship with God, walking out my spirituality as if I am the center of the universe. <clears throat> this is interesting. I remember reading this book a long time ago, uh, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, and he has a different book where he says this. Um, he argues that we are all born narcissists and that learning to grow out of our narcissism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. And I think that there is some truth to that, right? We start out where the world does revolve around us as babies and, and we have to learn the hard truths about life. And as parents, we wanna help our children learn along the way that life does not revolve around them. <clears throat> I loved this part. He's talking about when he and his wife were married, they lit a unity candle right? And probably most of us did this at our wedding if we're married, where we take two candles that represent each of us individually and we light one and we blow out our own and it signifies that we are becoming one. And I've never heard this, but he asks, but which one? Which one are we becoming? And he said, because clearly the first 10 years of my marriage, I figured it was we were becoming me. He's saying this, and I think that's so hilarious. I bet we all, to a degree, are bringing that thought process into our marriage and into, into that, right? <laughs> Which one are we becoming? I loved that. <clears throat> <clears throat> so he says, to grow spiritually, a, a Copernican revolution must take place in the way we perceive ourselves in relation to others. When Copernicus removed human beings from the center of the universe and said, we revolve around the sun, guess what? We revolve around the sun. The sun doesn't revolve around us, right? It sent a shockwave through Western civilization. And it, dis and it was meant to help discover the otherness of a spouse, a friend, a boss, a child, a coworker, to see them as separate, unique human beings and without losing yourself, allowing them to be that. It is a Copernican, uh, Copernican revolution of emotional maturity. And I just think there's so much, and that's like, I'm stopping here because this chapter is like halfway through. And I just thought, okay, this is a lot to chew on. There's a lot in here. 
And I, I wanted to end um, with this too, is one of the greatest gifts that we can give our world is to be a community of emotionally healthy adults who love well. This will take the power of God and a commitment to learn, grow, and break with unhealthy destructive patterns that go back generations in our families and cultures, and in some cases, our Christian culture also. In a lot of cases, we also have to stop a works-based, self-reliant culture that is in most of our walks, even in our churches and our religious walks with God. God never meant for us to be walking in our own strength. How do we do that? Hi, my friend Claire. It's so good to have you here. So I wanted to ask a couple questions as we close this out just to think about. And some of these you might think, okay, I connect to something right away. Some of these you might not, and that's okay. What am I holding onto in my life that is sucking the life out of it? Is it fear? Is it control? How do we process through those things? What am I holding onto in my marriage that is sucking the life out of it? I am going to write out that love is, um, and I I'm gonna write it out verbatim, but it's basically right how we said it. Love is helping another person see the beauty in themselves, right? Um, yes, it's so exhausting, Laura, yes. I'm gonna write that out because I am gonna make that my goal in life, especially where my husband is concerned to speak life over him and to speak, I, I, was, I was talking to someone this week um, and we were talking about our marriages and we were talking about, um, just how easy it is to be triggered and then respond. And I thought about that list, right, of, um, of these young kids and when, we are, when we're confronted with something, how do I respond? Do I get defensive? Do I feel like I have to make excuses? Um, and instead, because uh, there were some things that she and her husband were struggling through that were pretty major. And, and it's such a spiritual battle, you guys. This, the, this, the fight is not against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. And our marriages and our families are the number one target. I believe there is an assault on the family and especially on the men, on our husbands, on our sons, especially the men, because they are the leaders. And there is an assault on that so huge and you see it in our culture un, undeniably and I'm not I'm not here to pass judgment in any way but when you think about it from a spiritual perspective the family unit marriage even confusion about um, a gender that you are all of these things that are being rammed down our throats is an assault against the family unit because the family is the backbone of the church it's the backbone of the nation. It is, and it's so important. And that we understand it in our marriages that we are battling a spiritual battle, not each other. And how can we speak life? And my friend and I that were talking, we were like, okay, how can we, when these things come up, and even if our husband is responding, her husband was responding with some insecurity and accusations. And it was so easy to just go you know, back. And it was like, okay, in those moments, what's going on? There's a fear underneath that. If somebody's coming at you with a fear underneath it, what do you do? You speak into that. So let's speak into what our, our hope and our vision and our, our, um, our goal is for our marriage, our vision to be united and to be complete and to be connected and to fight against anything that would come between that. Speak life over that. 
amazing. But what am I holding onto in my marriage that is sucking the life out of it? Do you feel like you're not forgiving something? Um, there's ways to work through all that. Totally. Stop speaking death because you will get what you believe. You will absolutely get what you believe. What we speak is the power of life and death. And it's in our tongue. It's in what we speak. It's in what we think. And then it's absolutely in what we speak. Because when, when this I love, when we pray silently, God hears our prayers, right? When we speak it out loud, though, we're speaking to a spiritual realm. Because the spiritual realm doesn't hear our thoughts. Any kind of demonic activity can't hear your thoughts. They don't have that power. Only God. But when we speak it out loud, and when we speak against it out loud, it has no power over it. It's awesome. There's so much power in that. But, but inversely, there's a tremendous power when we speak death. Because then you're going to be held. And there's, there's something there, that there is a legal binding contract when we speak these things that we're held to. And I love this. Doubtful words turn into hurtful words. When I wake up with doubt about what we're doing, about PK4L and building this and putting everything we have into this, when I wake up with doubt and I let that fester, sometime during the day, I'm going to say something hurtful, either to myself where I speak you know, death over what we're doing because that doubt turns into fear and it goes, you know, or I'm going to speak it over my husband in a, in a way that's just not um, loving and building up. Doubtful words turn into hurtful words. We must take captive the doubts and make them obedient to the truth. And if we don't know what that is, and if we're struggling with that, talk to somebody, pray with somebody, say, I'm struggling with this right now. How do I, in a mature way, work through that? And I fully believe that the tools that we learn in grief recovery have been the most life-saving thing it has helped me the most because I've learned how to, first of all, not have to take responsibility for someone else's feelings. I've learned to be present in the moment and be able to have boundaries and be able to have actual clarity in what I'm feeling in the moment and have the choice to speak. And when I'm not being triggered, I can actually speak respectfully and honestly. And when we, if we go back, that was a sign, right, of being emotionally mature. How can we get that? It's possible. It's so possible. And it's actually how Jesus wants us to live. It's why he died. It's why he came in person to say, I have fulfilled the law. And what I want for you is the relationship with the father that I have. It's a connection that's unbreakable, that might not be able to understand at times, at times of great loss and trauma. It's not able to understand, but will never doubt that God is safe and he's good and we can trust him even in the dark so I love you ladies so so much I love this time that we have um, I wish we could do this every day honestly I wish every one of you could fly to Austin and we could hang out um, but I, I am so grateful for this time and I love to hear anything that you guys are learning and growing in and want to share or even anything that you feel struggles in that you want prayer about or that um, you want to talk about Put it on here. Message me. Um, we're in this together. We are an incredible tribe of women and learning the best that we can to, um, to live in a, in a unity with God that, that maybe didn't seem fathomable.
unfathomable, but it is. So I love you guys so much. Um, have a wonderful Wednesday. Um, really quick, I wanted to just talk about this. So we are not going to be doing a brunch uh, this Saturday. Um, we're not doing a brunch this month or next month. I think I made a post, um, or I might have posted that we were canceling this brunch. And um, just with all that is happening, I'm kind of taking the, the, the summer. Uh, we are going to be flying out the end of this month to go to LA to, um, to join the Thursons and have a memorial for Jacob. And um, that is, uh, we're going to be talking about that here. And it's like, there's some part of that that, that we are going to be streaming live. So if you are not able to be in LA, Judy really wants to connect and share um, this journey with you guys. So we'll be doing that. I don't know in what capacity yet, but I promise you that we will be. And um, if you are in LA, uh, we will be there the weekend of the 25th, I believe. And um, so we will be celebrating Jacob's life. And um, thank you guys so much for your prayers. Um, please keep Judy and Eric and Emma and Sydney in your prayers. Uh, this is a really hard, hard, hard thing. And um, I'm really encouraged that God's working out a way for us to get there and to be there. So, um, but we will be joining you guys live like this every Wednesday and um, more will be coming down the pike, but love you guys so much. Have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you.